0: introduce our guest speaker today, um, Darren Davis, who leads a church with his wife, Wendy in uh, South Florida. I had had the privilege of literally running into Darren in various different places around the world, and uh, we grab coffee and meals and uh, I had the pleasure of a few years back just going uh, to be with them and their church family for uh, for an event Bethel, I was working with Bethel music and we uh, we went into the night of worship there and got to experience uh, just their community and really uh, Dug into and heard some of their heart for what God has placed them in their region to do, and um, it, he's. Uh, just when I get around down, I'm encouraged, and when I get around down, I'm excited by vision. He's a real strategic visionary, and uh, I just love what he's building in terms of community and family, and the way that God's given him fresh strategy to, to know what that looks like. and uh, And Jesse's son Jesse's son's here with him. Um, the, he's you're in France at the moment. Is that correct? but you've come over here and you guys are hanging out. And as soon as I found out Darren was going to be in the UK, I was like, oh man, you've got to come hang out with us. Let's spend some time together. Come uh, spend some time with our church family. And so why don't you welcome him as he comes to share this morning.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Wow. This is awesome. What an honor to be with y'all this morning. Um, Was not planning on originally coming to Manchester. My son is... As Phil said, suffering for Jesus in the coastal town of Biarritz, France. Someone's got to do it, right? So he's down there with the youth with a mission and and been doing work all around the world and on staff now for two years. So we don't get to see him as much. And he was actually coming to England for a 21 day break. And I was on my way to Stuttgart, Germany for a conference. And it was actually less expensive for me to fly through London Intersected right with the same time as he was coming over So I said, hey, let's hang out for a few days in England I've, I've actually never been able to travel around and see your beautiful nation And I'm really, really enjoying it Actually, after today, we head uh, north uh, to Scotland We have a, a couple that we sent up there that's uh, pastoring a church in Dundee So um, I might put a kilt on or run around the mountains Who knows what uh, will happen while we're there But I look forward to seeing Scotland and back down to the south uh, to drop off my son with his friend and then off to Germany. So what an honor to be with you, Phil, Sarah, leadership team here. Really, really blessed. I, I want to say this before we jump into the Word today, I, I, and I don't say this um, just to say it. I, I really feel something significant is happening and is going to increase in its happenings here in England. And I feel that God has marked Manchester, for something really, really supernatural in this hour, in this nation. I remember years ago, I was just stopping over in England, and I heard in my heart the phrase, uh, "...the lion will roar again." And I didn't even know what that meant. I didn't even know that, you know, much of the symbol of England is, is the lion, but and, which has been in many ways asleep for, for a, a while. But I felt like God was going to rise this, wake this lion back up and it's going to roar again. I believe that's, that roar is going to come out of uh, Manchester. And I feel over this church that you guys are a really stable, solid pillar, not only in this community, but in this nation. I think the plethora and maturity of your leadership, um, is, is, Indicative of 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 helping to lead what God has in this nation and in this city. So, super super honored to be with you this morning. All right, I know you guys have been in a serve uh, uh, a series on healthy root, healthy fruits, um, healthy roots, healthy fruit, and um, I'm going to jump in on that, and I'm going to talk just for the few minutes that we have together on what I'm titling an under- unoffendable heart that is fueled by love. And we're going to actually look at agape love, which is a supernatural love. And we're going to bounce between Matthew 18 and John chapter 21, I believe. Uh, John chapter uh, 21. So it's going to be a good morning. I believe God's going to really do something really super powerful. A little bit about myself. I've been married 26 years. My wife actually wants to come to England. She's never been and uh, I was actually a little bit disappointed in the weather. I was hoping for some rain. Come on, somebody, what happened? I mean, I live in the Sunshine State down there in Miami. I wanted some rain, some cold, and just beautiful outside. But but she wants to come over and, and just experience that in some different um, culture, some different weather, and and hopefully uh, she'll be able to come back and and even get to meet all you beautiful people. We have three kids. Uh, my son Jesse, who's in France, our daughter, who lives in Nashville, who just got married, and then our little son Luke, who's back home with Wendy, and we praise the Lord, dodged the hurricane that was coming up the East Coast. They thought it was going to hit actually where we live directly, and thank God it, it just kind of stayed off to the right side of the, of the, of the coast, which was good. So, um, we've been pastoring the harbor now for 14 years, planted it, um, from the start years ago. And it's been an amazing, amazing journey. We're seeing a move of God happen among a young generation and all generations really there um, in South Florida. It's beautiful. Anytime you guys want to come over and thaw out, come on. You're welcome to, to, for real, come hang out with us. Anything you need, just let us know and we'd love to help you out when you come hang out with us in South Florida. So let me just pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for these beautiful people. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you that it's sharp it's quick it's able to go between soul and spirit and pierce to the very heart of the issue I'm asking you God that you would grace my words this morning that you would come and you'd breathe revelation on your word in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus I ask you for this do you remember when um the disciples were walking with Jesus this is pre-cross pre-crucifixion And they asked this question in Matthew 18, verse 1. They said, who among us will be the greatest? Who's the greatest? I think there's a a resounding reality in every heart in this room, everybody that will listen to this message, everybody that's actually been born, that we are created for greatness. And there's a search for greatness. There's a, a desire for greatness. There's a longing for greatness. And we know that ultimately, Jesus said this in Luke chapter 22, verse 26, he says that greatness is going to look like one thing. It's going to look like ultimately serving other people, giving yourself away to other people, to humanity. And we know in Christianity, we know that what God is doing through the gospel is he is transforming people who are going to transform culture. City transformation is really, I think, the stirring of what's going on in the church. It's not so much about just increasing the size of our numbers or developing more intriguing programs, but really through what we're doing with our lives and our ministry, we're wanting to see ourselves, as Sarah mentioned, fully transformed because that's what Jesus paid for on the cross. Can I get an amen right there? He paid for that on the cross, and so through that paid price... We have the possibility, if we could dream as a generation, to see our cultures transformed. You know, she mentioned Isaiah. That's how we say it in English, the real way. Come on, somebody. Isaiah. I couldn't even barely understand Sarah's Isaiah. But anyhow, um, it says that there's a generation, oh, dream with me this morning, that at some point in human history is going to rise And they're going to come out of ashes, brokenness, sorrow, and they're going to rise in the grace of God. And it says that they're going to rebuild cities that have been desolated for many generations. I don't know if this is presumptuous or if it's just my passion and my zeal, but I believe why not us? Why not this generation? And it's going to be what we freely received. We're going to freely give away. And we're going to step into this greatness of serving others. Now, there's a challenge here because Jesus in Matthew 18 verse 3, and track with me here, he said, I'm telling you the truth as they asked him this question. Who's the greatest? He said, unless you're converted... And the Greek word there is strepho, which means to, track with me, go and return to the place of innocence. He calls this little child child over, you guys remember the story, and he calls the child over and he says, unless you become like one of these little children and you're converted, you return to the place of innocence, you by no means will even enter in to the kingdom of God or the rule of the Father in the earth. The power of God moving in the earth where transformed people begin to transform culture. Now, this is interesting because, you know, a lot of times we look at that scripture and we're, we're, you know, I'm thinking to myself, here Jesus is talking to grown men. Does he want them to become like a child or act childish or immature? And that's not at all what he's trying to say to them. He's saying, listen, you need to even enter in and be able to posture yourself to serve others and manifest greatness you need to maintain innocence and purity of heart in the journey of your life we know that the access point because think about this if the gospel has made us the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus meaning that we're in him totally free Totally whole, totally victorious, and that one act on the cross has defeated the devil once and for all. Why are we not manifesting this reality? Why are we not walking in the fullness of what the Lord has? Recently, we just had two major leaders in our city crash and burn, and, and it, it, it actually did something, in and in God turned what was meant for. For our evil, and He's working it now for the good. Where it's gathering pastors in our region together, and we're asking the question: Are we really changing the culture in our area, in our in our in our South Florida community? And 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 I think many of us are saying, you know what? Um, not as much as we'd like to, not as much as we'd like to see, and so. We're pressing into, to, to what is holding us back? What is, what is, what is hindering us from, from moving forward in this? And, and one of the major issues, and I think contextually, theologically, we can see that, that the, the issue of the access point that the enemy has to our lives is this, is this reality of unforgiveness. Everybody say unforgiveness with me this morning. Because Peter, in Matthew 18, just going down a few verses, he, he says to the Lord, he says, as he hears Jesus give this whole discourse, which we'll take a look at a little deeper in just a minute, he said, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? And he says, seven times? But the Lord replied, no, seven times, 70 times seven. You know, Jesus was was pulling, actually, it's, it's amazing, he was pulling Peter out of the law and into grace. You see, the law required you to forgive someone three times, but Peter just in a zeal up that to double and then added one just to make sure he was safe. (laughs) But you see, Jesus was like, listen, Peter, you're operating in an old system. I'm getting ready to move you into a new reality and it's going to be 70 times seven. In other words, it's going to be impossible for you to forgive anybody continually in your life outside of the work of my presence, outside of the work of my spirit. You've got to understand, the, the life that we're living is a supernatural life, and I explained it to our church like this, supernatural just means above the natural. In other words, we need God to live in this realm that is above the natural, otherwise we would just be doing this all on our own. Can you hear me this morning? So he's moving him into this supernatural life where it's only possible by the grace of God to flow in this supernatural thing called agape do you remember post-resurrection now moving to john chapter 21 jesus prophesies over peter and that's kind of the focus of our our uh, talk this morning is his life who i can really identify with he says to peter in chapter 21 verse 18 he says i tell you when you were young you were able to do whatever you liked you dressed yourself where you went, wherever you wanted to go, but when you were old, you will stretch out your hands, and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. And it says in verse 19 that Jesus was letting him know what kind of death he would glorify God. And then he said, "Follow me." So he's talking about the most major offense that was going to happen in Peter's life, a betrayal probably much like his Lord. And it was literally going to cost him his life. And before that, he asked Peter this question. He says, do you remember? Do you love me? Now, you've got to dig a little deeper to really find out what's going on here. He asks him, Peter, do you agape me? Have you tapped into supernatural love? Peter answers him and says, Lord, you know all things, I love you, phileo, love you as a friend. Jesus asks him again, Peter, do you agape me? Peter says, Lord, you know I phileo you, you know I love you as a friend, and then he asks him again, but this time he says, do you phileo me? He meets him right where he's at, and Peter says, you know, Lord, I phileo you. So let's take this and make it practical this morning because I want to I just take that theological framework that I just laid out and I want to make it practical. Most of the time, the biggest challenge concerning unforgiveness and really posturing ourselves to step into supernatural love has nothing or little to do with other people but everything to do with ourselves. Now, watch this in Matthew chapter 18, verse 7 through 9. Jesus says, What sorrow awaits the world because it tempts people to sin. Temptations are inevitable, but what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting? In other words, there's this missing of the mark in people's lives, sin. But what about the person who is being utilized to cause other people to miss the mark with their lives. In other words, where's the transformed people? Where's the ones that are gonna rise up in this moment and actually instead of veering other people off with their lives, get people on the straight and narrow? That's what he's saying. And then in verse eight, he says this. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. And then he says, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Now religion would tell you to literally cut that off but what is Jesus saying here when he's bringing this discourse think about it with me your hand the things that you've volitionally put willful intention towards that maybe were this missing of the mark in your life maybe before Jesus maybe on some level after you've known Jesus I don't know but you know God is saying, listen, you've got to, in fact, if you look at the Greek word there about getting rid of this, it's the Greek word of mean which means to let it go. Oftentimes, the things that we've put our own hands to, we have the hardest time forgiving ourselves. Whatever you've put your hand to, Jesus says, you've got to let it go. If you don't let it go, you're going to be walking down a course where you're going to be carrying other people in the wrong direction with you. You've got to forgive yourself. Your foot, think about this. You know, in, in our lives, we, we, the things that we've walked through, we didn't get to choose our families. We didn't get to choose where we were born in life. We didn't get to choose what city we were raised up in. The experiences we, that we would journey through that we didn't have any, any choice in the matter. And so often those, those things have, have defined us or tried to define us in many ways, right? The socioeconomic status that we were raised up in whatever family that we were born into. I remember I was raised in, in the, the state of Montana. In case you don't know where that is, that's where all the cowboys and Indians live. Come on, somebody. All right? All right. And and when I just, I hated it there. I, w- I was actually, the, the town was named Butte, and I used to joke and I used to call it Butt. You know, I just didn't like where I was from. My dad was a pilot for Evil Knievel. Do you guys know about him over here in, in, in England? Okay, I think he jumped here actually one time. So in the 70s, my dad was a pilot for him. But in many ways, where I was raised, that the, the, the reality of, of that place that I didn't really actually like much, it was trying to define me or shape me. The things that I walked through in my journey in that time in my life. i got to cut that off. i got to let that go. Because you, let me say this, nothing defines you except for Jesus. This is crazy. Even your gender doesn't define you. There's no male or female in Christ. There's no slave or free. There's no Jew or Gentile. There's nothing that defines any of us in this room except for what God says about you. And one of the things that he says about you is you are great, you are powerful, you are destined to bring something in a massive way to the city in this hour. If your eye causes you to miss the mark, gouge it out, you know, many things that we see, that we've experienced. What about even in church? What have you seen in your journey as a Christian? I remember Randy Clark, I, he, was, he was in our region, and I just felt to go up and, and attend his meeting. It was on a Saturday night, and he said when he was a, a young preacher, when he was first starting out, this guy asked him a question, this old seasoned minister of the gospel. He said, Randy, he said, I have a question for you. Will you continue to forgive the church when the church continues to hurt you? And in his youthfulness, he said yes. And he had no idea what he was saying yes to. He said when he went through the revival, which he said in Toronto, he said which he never chose. He didn't even understand the manifestations. He said he wasn't hurt and ridiculed by the world. He said he was hurt and ridiculed by the church. We're going to get into this in just a minute. You can't, you can't be hurt or affected by somebody that isn't close to you. Otherwise, you wouldn't have allowed them into your heart. Does this make sense? It's why the enemy tries to move through this reality of offense. But we got to forgive ourselves. we got to love ourselves. Remember when G- Jesus is backed into the corner by these lawyers, these, these Pharisees and Sadducees, and they said, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, to love the Lord, they God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But he said, the second is equal to it. And he said, you're to love your neighbor as you what love your so this all boils down to self-love it's one of the reasons the whole father heart of god message has been being poor has this been coming to england for 10 something years father heart of god father heart of god the way the father views his kids in fact, my whole calling into ministry came out of a vision that I had, only vision I've ever had in my entire 25 years of following Jesus, the Christ for the nations. I'm in this this uh, prayer session that happened after this revival, and I just see these these faces of a young generation flashing before my eyes, and that was amazing. But what was even more amazing was I felt the heart of the Father For this generation that I knew was alive on the earth right now, and he was going to come, and he was going to heal their hearts and raise them up into greatness. Love yourself. Because if you can't love yourself, there's no way that we can love other people. What does loving yourself... Just a couple more things and we'll be finished. What does loving yourself do? Well, first of all, when you get yourself okay, when you get your heart all healed up from whatever measure of offense that you've put your hand to, things you've walked through, things you've seen, it'll give you, you got to hear this, an accurate lens in which you see things happening in the world oh my god back home right now politically it's so insane with america i mean it is unreal i have never seen it like this before in my life the polarization among christians on facebook i don't even know what to think about facebook anymore man is it from heaven or hell i don't know i'm not sure but everybody's got an opinion right and they're putting it out there on Facebook, and I'm just looking at some of these, and I'm just seeing, it's weird, because of the work that God's done in my own life, I can see the lens, not only in politics, but in everything, really, that people are seeing and, and perceiving the world to be. Because when you love some yourself as, as God loves you, it'll, it'll totally change the way you see other people. There's this verse in Matthew 18, it's a kind of a mysterious verse, it's beautiful, in, in, in chapter 18, verse 10, it says, beware, it's the same context here that, that I'm, I'm rolling through, it says, beware that you don't look down on any of these little ones, these immature people. He says, for I tell you that in heaven their angels are always in the presence of their heavenly Father. Another version says that they look at these little ones through the eyes of the Father. Vine Church, if you're going to touch a a campus that's nearby, we're talking about young uh, little pations is the Greek word that are going to be raised up. I remember when I first started giving myself to a young generation. Man, I I was loving them, loving them, and then eventually they hurt me back because they don't know how to trust. They've been wounded by authority. They're wondering if you're for real. I was just out in Vegas the other week at a conference and, This young 27-year-old was drawn to me, and he came over, we started talking, and then the next day he came over and he confessed something to me. He said, hey, after our conversation, I was really drawn to you, and I just felt like I needed to come speak to you. He said, but after I found out that you were a pastor, and he said, my walls went up. I said, why? He said, because pastors are good at saying things, but they're not really good oftentimes at living what they say. And I think we'd all agree this morning that Jesus is not looking for the church to preach another message. He's looking at the church to be a message. (laughs) That was the most confusing thing when I went to Bible school. I thought God was taking me down there to to learn theology, and he put me on my face for two years to do heart surgery. And you know what else it does when we love ourselves and... We begin to walk in these things. It gives us a passionate heart for those who have wandered away. The prodigals, and I feel this is very important in England right now. Do you remember in Matthew 18, just a couple of verses down from where, I just read it, it says, if a man has a hundred sheep, verse 12, and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Will he leave the 99 others on the hills and go out and search for the one that is lost? And Jesus says, and if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he will rejoice over it more than the 99 that didn't wander away. Could we dream for just a minute as we wrap this up? What would it look like if this church, not just our meetings, I'm talking the church community as a whole, was an offense free zone? What if every leader? in this house, was totally free from their past, anything they're walking through in their present, and already having clear and good perspective for their future. And the downflow of that was like leaven getting into every heart of the people in this room. This church would be unstoppable in this city. Do you remember Matthew it's, it's 18, the, it's the proof text for this whole offense thing. He says in verse 15, if another brother sins against you, go privately. He gives this whole thing on how to walk this thing out. But the main thing that I want to draw your attention to for the sake of time is verse 18. He says, I tell you the truth, same context. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. In other words, you have a choice here. You have a choice. In fact, at the end of the day, the only person you can change is yourself. So if you set yourself on fire, if you say, hey, I'm going to go through this freedom course and I'm going to get whole, I'm going to be responsible for my own life, that's the most powerful decision you can ever make. When you change you, that will set the course for the change of others, actually. He says in verse 19, I tell you, if you agree on earth, anything you ask... Lord, over Vine Life, we pray that every single person that walks through the doors of this church, their hearts will get melted like wax in the presence of your agape love. We want to walk in something so supernatural that people can't help but get made into the perfect image of Jesus that he paid for the price for on the cross for their sins. We're going to press in for this. We're going to, we're going to grab hold of this with our hearts and our lives because this is what we were destined to walk in. This is what we were destined to live where we're all going to be messages. Here's the thing. We think that the message is all about Sunday morning on the stage, but the message is actually all about you living it out in the world where you go. In your families, in your neighborhoods, in your workplaces, this is where things are heading. This is is an equipping spot right here. We're just kind of pouring out the word of God to you, hoping that the leaven of it gets in, which it will, because God says he promised that it would, and then you're going to go and you're going to carry this out wherever you go. You So sometimes we don't even realize how much power that we have on the inside of us that really is able to really bring transformation to the world around us. I mean, think about this. You carry the Godhead on the inside of you. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, through the person of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, you carry God on the inside of you. That's amazing. So, Jesus, back to John 21, post resurrection, he finds the guys fishing all night. And they've caught nothing. I don't know about you, but I don't want that reality for my life. I don't want to live in the strength of my flesh, in my offense. Peter had quit the ministry. He's gone back to what he had been originally doing. He's fishing all night long, the Bible says, and he catches nothing. How futile is life for those that have been called to be fishers of men and are spoiling and giving their entire existence to nothingness. Come on, somebody. Come on. Come on. And he... Shows up. It says that it's the third time, the Bible says, that he appears to his disciples. Three is a very important number in the word of God. It's just kind of putting a stamp on, 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 on what the Lord's trying to show. And I believe this is a key moment in the life of Peter and the rest of the disciples. And remember what he says. He says, cast your net on the other side of the boat. How many of you know it's probably time to change the way that we've been doing some things in the church? And get... You know, I've been to Israel. I've been to this very spot where this happened, and they say that there's seven springs that come up out of the, out of the ground into the water there of natural water, and all the fish gather in that area. And, and Jesus knew that they were right over the top of it, but they just had their net on the wrong side. And he said, just drop it down over here, guys. And remember, that they, they pulled up the nets. So powerful. And it says that their nets were so full and it's crazy. It's, it's here that the Word of God actually says the exact number of the fish that they catch. Does anybody know the number? 153, I believe it was. And missiologists and historians believe that at the time of Jesus, there were 153 major people groups on the earth. And each of these fish that he pulled up was of a different species, some theologians believe. So in other words, Jesus was saying that if you just get on the right side of the boat, if you just begin to flow in my supernatural love, if you get into agape, if you get out of doing things in your own strength, I'm telling you, you're going to take in the harvest of the nations. it says when he got out of the boat peter you know put on his tunic he jumped overboard he, he he swims to jesus and when he got there to the lord he found in verse 9 we see this in chapter 21 that breakfast oh catch this was already waiting there for him let me end with this story And this may be some of y'all's journey. I don't know. I'm meeting a lot of leaders that have been through these same experiences. The last two years from February back were two of the hardest years I've ever been through in my entire life, my entire ministry. Personally, in the midst of these two years, I suffered the greatest betrayal in ministry that I'd ever gone through. For me, it was the greatest betrayal. For somebody else, it might not be a big, big big deal. And why do I say that? I think for each person in this room, we can't get into the comparison thing, or we can't even try to understand each other's circumstances because each one is unique to our own personality. In other words, the enemy knows how to affect you in a certain way that wouldn't probably affect me. So I might not even be able to have empathy for you because I can't even really understand what you've been going through. Does that make sense? And oftentimes in this, we try to find somebody that we can pull into our world and help us with what we're walking through. And all the while, Jesus is standing over there saying, pick me, pick me. Because this is a moment for you and for I to come into a place of intimacy with the Lord in the fellowship with our sufferings that we've never actually been to before. And I say that because, you know, you're thinking, well, Pastor Phil or Sarah or somebody, you know, Mark or somebody on the team would just help me, then I'll be okay. No, the Lord wants you to to find this, and and yes, he's going to bring in other people. It's always about the body, trust me. But he wants you to find this for yourself. And in the midst of this, this offense, I remember thinking to myself, I was like, Jesus, I don't know if I'm done with you. I don't know if I'm done with ministry, but I wonder I might be done with the church, Because if the church acts like this, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Because it actually, actually the offense didn't have anything to do with me. It was what was happening to my family. And I remember as clear as day, my wife and I were in North Carolina where the girl went to college. And Holy Spirit came in between me and Wendy. And he said, you'll be done with the church. He said it in such a loving but firm way. You'll be done with the church when I say you're done with the church. (laughs) I've called you to love the church in all of her brokenness I've called you to love her and I want to make you hold Darren to such a degree that the beauty and the power of the transformation that's come to your life that is only going deeper it can't help but change everybody that's around you if you look in Matthew chapter 25 you see a progression of maturity. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Lord, I have need of you. It ends with, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Have you ever experienced that? If you have, well done. Beautiful. But you can't get, you won't get, offended in that moment jesus is on the cross he was even called the devil can you imagine that the son of god called the devil father forgive them for they don't even know what they're doing so this meal is prepared the band can come back up this meal is prepared right i don't know if the band comes back up normally but even just the keyboardist, man. I need some, some ambiance here. Something. There you go, man. <laughs> As the keyboardist comes back up. This meal is already prepared. Think about Psalm 23. It says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. Perfect love is cast out all fear. He leads me besides what? Still waters. All the chaos has subsided in the presence of Jesus. And then it says, There, in the midst of my enemies, He's prepared what? A table before me. And it's laid out with everything beautiful that you long and have desired to eat of. And you get to sit there and you get to eat it with your back to the enemies and they have to watch you be totally fulfilled and totally satisfied in Jesus. (laughs) That's how good God is. If you've been through stuff, if you've walked through stuff, if you've seen stuff, maybe even if you put your hand to stuff, there's probably a really good chance that God has something so massive for your life that even if He were to tell you what it was, you wouldn't even believe Him. And here this morning, in the presence of God, with the angels of the Lord all around us today, He's coming and He says, Enter into my agape and let it all go. And instead of eating or drinking from a bitter well, come and taste of my goodness and see how good I really am. Could we just, just for a moment, just with our eyes closed, could we just give a minute for the presence of God just to rest on His Word I felt it so strong when Sarah got up here. I feel like there's people in here. Shame and condemnation, I agree with what she said, has been your portion. And today is the day for you to be free of that. And replace that with greatness. Lord, all shame, all condemnation, leaving this room right now. Lord, conviction is a totally different reality and we are convicted in the presence of your love and repentance isn't feeling sorry for ourselves it's actually having a renewed mindset and belief system about maybe things that we've bought into over our life that that we never should have believed in in the first place that we weren't valuable that we weren't really worthy of love that we really didn't have a future That because I had done this or experienced this or this happened to me that for some reason I've been disqualified in God. Lord, I ask for all of that to go away this morning in the name of Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Come into this room and just set us free in the name of Jesus. You've paid for it on the cross. It's our portion. So if you could, as Phil comes back up to close us out, Lord, would you help us to let it go just say God take it just wherever you're sitting this morning say God take it right now for me I don't want to hold on to it anymore